Isaiah chapter 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. This is the word of the Lord. And this is a series in which we are looking at the uh, characteristics or the attributes of God which uh, we cannot uh, possess, but God alone can. And as we look at those this morning, we are going to uh, look today at what has been called the omniscience of God or God all-knowing And I must say to you, this has happened every single one of these sermons, uh, that I think uh, I have this concept of what it is or what God is saying or Scripture is saying only to get to the attribute and go, oh, I was ever so short. Perhaps not wrong, but shy of this reality of who God is. And so it was this week. You see, as I have talked about God uh, omniscient all my life, I've thought honestly, and and I just hate to confess this to you this morning, but honestly, I've had kind of a Google version of God. Like, Like God is a giant Google search engine, and he knows all the facts, right? And you could Google God and ask him anything, and God would know. And since he knows, hopefully he would tell you. But that falls short of the reality of the omniscience of God because in order for God to be, uh, for us to understand the all-knowing God, we have to raise that a level to the reality that God is all-wise. 
all wise. You see, you could know all the facts, let's say, if a human brain could do that, but still lack wisdom. But you can't have wisdom without knowing all the facts, right? You can't have all wisdom unless you have all the facts. And so, so the Google thing would come underneath, right, the all-wise God. J.I. Packer says, wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it. All right, so Packer can be hard to understand, so I took it and I dumbed it down for me, and hopefully it helps you. I just did a formula. Wisdom equals knowledge plus solution plus the power. So the knowledge plus the solution plus the ability to solve the problem that is before us. Isaiah 55 talks of all of this. The first truth we glean from Isaiah 55 is our thoughts are not God's thoughts. All right, so another misconception through the years as I've tacitly read Isaiah 55 is that, well, I have random, strange even thoughts at times, right? Uh, Sometimes they're vile thoughts that just shoot through my mind. And so when I read that God's thoughts are not my thoughts, number one, I'm glad. And number two, I'm just thinking God always thinks perfect good thoughts and I don't always think perfect good thoughts. But the word thoughts in the Old Testament and here in Isaiah means much more than that. And when we learn that meaning, as I have this week again, it reminds me of the depth of that statement. The word thoughts means plans or purposes. Uh, that on which one meditates. All right, so then if I were to transpose that, I would say our purposes are not God's purposes. And that word not is an absolute negative. You can have a qualified negative in Hebrew or an absolute negative. And this is an absolute negative. Or we might amplify that to say our purposes are absolutely not the purposes of God. So when I say that, some of you might say, but I think some of my purposes are his purposes. And I think I think like God thinks. I I really think I think the way he does. And, And I would say that the longer you walk with him, hopefully that is true, but... But there is something presented in verse 1 of Isaiah 55 that makes no sense. And I guarantee you, you'd never come up with it. You you just wouldn't dream this up. You wouldn't think this up. What is mentioned here? Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. All right. When we hear that, we have an issue. If you're a thinking person, you have an issue. Why? You're told if you're thirsty, come to the waters. That makes sense. And he who has no money, come by and eat. That makes no sense. If you don't have money, how can you buy? That makes no sense. 
He who has no money, come by and eat. Come by wine and milk. Now it's elevated. All right, not only by milk, which is a necessity, but by wine, which is not necessary. Milk is what you need. Wine is what makes the heart glad. It's what you might want. So how is it that you could come to a store and you could buy water because you're thirsty and milk because you're hungry, but you have no money? And how is it that not only could you get what you need, but you could get your want, what you want and you could buy it, but you have nothing for which, uh, with which to pay for it? But then there's another problem in it. It doesn't have a price tag. Did you get that? It has no price tag. So you've got to buy what you need and buy what you want, but you have no money. And if you did have money, there wouldn't be a price tag on it. So how in the world can you buy something that when you have no money and when it has no price tag? You say, Jerry, that puzzles my mind. I told you that our thoughts were not God's. Absolutely not. What then is he talking about? The only way then that I can come and buy something that I need and also something I want without money if it doesn't have a price on it, is if some kind of exchange takes place. Uh, I've got to be able to trade one thing for another. And if I can do that, right, uh, then, then you would think there would be some equivalent value, but Isaiah doesn't say that. But there's got to be some kind of exchange. And so what is he talking about? Verses three through five, start to take the film off of our eyes and we'll begin to see. And so I would say to you, incline your ear. All right, so, so just warning, you can't sit here and kind of lazily drift off into never-never land and get this. If Isaiah says, incline your ear, I'm going to echo what he has to say. Listen in closely, he says, and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. I will say to you this morning, if you will hear this, your soul will live. I promise you that what Isaiah is trying to say is life for your soul. I was in my office early this morning and, uh, uh, tomorrow is my students at uh, Montreat's their final exam. Some of them are here. All right, so uh, Alan Michael, who graduated from Montreat, walks in my office, and then Adrian is in there, and I've got the final exam pulled up on the screen. I'm getting ready to print it. And I said, hey, guys, uh, you want to try this out. This is a New Testament final. You're on staff at a church. Let's see how you do. So I start to just spit out questions. And as I do, some of the students who come in for their life groups gather around. And then Chandler Frisbee, who's in the service somewhere, Chandler comes in. And Chandler's never 
around grace this early, but he led worship at the first kids worship service this morning. And so he led worship there. So he's, he's there. And so I'm asking these questions and Alan, Michael and Adrian are just kind of sparring back and forth to see who can answer them first. And Chandler's eyes just get huge. And he, he just, he just interrupts and he says, do you quiz them every Sunday before church? Like it was as if Chandler thought, what have I signed up for? (laughs) I would say to you this morning, incline your ear. I'll give you a quiz. All right, so here it goes. Um, I will make with you an everlasting covenant my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. All right, so if you know English grammar at all, you know that is past tense. This is talking about King David who is now dead. But look at this. Behold, you shall. That's future tense. You shall call a nation that you do not know and a nation that you did not know you shall, uh, shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel for he has glorified you. Now, you may not like it, but Isaiah does it. He talks in the past and immediately switches to the future tense with no, it's, it's a fast curve. So what in the world is he talking about if David is dead? If David is dead, he says, I showed my steadfast love to David. Then we have to go in the past to find it. And we do that from First Chronicles 17. Now, when David lived in his house, David said to Nathan the prophet, Behold, I will dwell, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. David says, I'm living in a posh palace, and the ark where the glory of God dwells, it's out there in a tent. And Nathan the prophet said to David, do all that is in your heart for God is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan and said, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord. It is not you who will build me a house to dwell in, for I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up Israel to this day, but I have gone from tent to tent and from dwelling to dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? You know what God is saying? Listen, I'm not looking for a house. I'm not looking for a house from you, David. Look at this. Now, therefore, thus shall you say to my servant, David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep to be prince over my people, Israel. And I've been with you wherever you have gone and cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a name like the name of the great ones of of the earth. Moses, Abraham, Noah, David. All of them have covenants. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall waste them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will subdue all your enemies. Moreover, I declare to you that the Lord will build what? You a house. What? David says, God, I'm in a palace and, and the ark is in a tent and I want to build the house for the ark. And God says, listen, David, I, I want to build you a house. 
you want to build me a house, I want to build you a house. Well, that can't be talking about the palace, right? Because the palace is built. So this isn't talking about the palace. What kind of house is this? Let's read. When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, meaning when you die, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne. How long, class? Forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. All right, so this is how I feel. I feel like the vision has been blurry up until now, and all of a sudden it's becoming crystal clear that God is not building a house for David uh, in the sense of a palace or even in the sense of a temple, but that God is building a spiritual house that will require one of David's descendants, and that descendant of David will be none other than whom? Jesus Christ. It will be Jesus. I will not. I will be to him a father. He shall be to me a son. I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from him who was before you. But I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom. How long? Forever. And his throne shall be established forever. And so Nathan went and said all these words to David. All right, so we see something interesting here that correlates with 55.1. Isaiah 55.1, come you who have no money, come buy milk and, and wine. David says, God, I want to build you a house. God says, David, I want to build you a house. How in the world is 55.1 and 1 Chronicles 17 going to happen it is only going to happen if there is some kind of exchange. And that exchange is, is spelled out in First Chronicles 17. I'm going to bless everybody as I bless my servant David. And I gave David steadfast love, that old kessid word in the Old Testament, steadfast love. I gave that to David, and I'm going to give it to you. And, the, and when I give you steadfast love, steadfast love can buy anything. Well, how? Through my son Christ, he will die on the cross. And when he dies, his blood will be of such value that when you receive him and his blood is applied, everything you've ever needed will be yours. Everything. As a matter of fact, uh, what is that verse? I will supply all your needs according to my glorious riches in whom? Christ Jesus. All right, so when I go into the store of life, right, and I go in with my sin and with my shortcomings and with my failures, if the blood of Christ has been applied to my life, I go in and I exchange all of that for all of God has. That is the only way this happens. And do you know what? You can never dream that up. That's why our thoughts are absolutely not God's thoughts. Christianity is the only religion with a cross. 
There is no other religion whose God says this is the standard. All religions say that. But let me send to you the standard keeper who will die for you and become for you a sacrifice so that I can extend the unthinkable invitation. Come all you who are thirsty, come by. And you who have no money, come by without price. Why is it without price? Because there is not a price tag you can put on the love of Christ on the cross. Unbelievable. Our thoughts are not God's thoughts. Our ways are not his ways. Behold, uh, verse 4 and 5, you shall call a nation that you did not know, and a nation that you did not know shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. All right, so, so I'm going to establish a king. He's going to rule forever. Uh, he will die on the cross. It'll be a spiritual kingdom. And once the spiritual kingdom is, is established, people are just going to run to Jesus. Well, has that happened? Has that happened? I was a 15-year-old kid, grew up in, in a pastor's house. We went to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. Before my dad pastored, he did itinerant evangelism, and he would travel all over the place. We lived in East Tennessee at the time. Dad drove this little Nova, this little brown Nova, right? Two-door uh, hatchback Nova. Three of us kids would slide into the back of the Nova, and uh, uh, the rest of uh, uh, mom and dad in the front. I have no idea how many times I've sat in the back of that Nova and done my homework because as soon as school was over, dad picked us up and all of us kids went every single time he preached anywhere he preached. I, I've been to so many worship services. I have no idea how to count how many I've been to, but I was a 15-year-old kid, been a good kid, nothing bad, nothing on my resume that would shock anyone. When I showed up at a revival service on a Tuesday night, just trailing right along with my dad, just sitting there on the second row of that church in a revival service, the preacher gets up to preach. And when he does about halfway through the sermon, I cannot describe, I cannot explain this to you. I have no empirical evidence. This is totally existential, right? What happened? Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. And when he did for the first time in my life, I realized I was a sinner. I never before that realized that. I'm 15 years old. You see, I had some good things and I had amassed them. I had been a good kid. I made straight A's. I uh, worked, uh, uh, began working when I was in sixth grade to pay my way through college. So I amassed a massive amount of money for a 15-year-old at this time in the bank just so that I could pay for college. I had never given my parents grief. I had a brother who's about 10 years younger than me. I was like a second dad to that kid and just took care of him. I, I was this, I had all of this stuff. And for years, I had come into the store of God's grace with my own uh, money. And I thought that I was paying. But that night, for the first time in my life, I cannot explain to you why it was that night. But he called. And do you know what I did? I ran. Like, I couldn't wait because in, in our tradition, you had to go forward. And I couldn't wait till the, I thought that preacher was never going to finish. That's what some of you are thinking right now. So uh, I thought that preacher was never going to finish. And, uh, and when he did, immediately I was on the altar. I don't remember much what I said. I just knew I was lost. 
Do you know what's interesting? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Jesus uh, only traveled about 120 miles north to south, maybe 50 to 60 east to west. But already since Sunday first dawned in the world, he has been worshipped and will be worshipped on every continent today. People are still running to him. Easter Sunday, we baptized uh, uh, quite a few people. And that night, 5 p.m., we baptized Cherie Britt. And Cherie uh, came to Christ. Uh, her son, Tim Velez, came to Christ first. And, and Tim uh, came to me about a week after he came to Christ said, Oh, we got to pray for my mom. We've got to pray for my mom. Well, sure enough, a few weeks later, Cherie comes down the aisle here, just tears streaming. And so she was baptized at the 5 p.m. service. That was her lowest attended service that day. So I'm assuming most of you haven't seen her video. She's another one who came running. Check out her story. Isaiah asked a question in 55.2, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? And, and I would ask you that. Why is it that you, you take the, the currency of your life and you spend it on things that do not satisfy, on empty relationships, on consuming habits? on futile attempts at happiness. Until you run to Jesus, you will know no satisfaction. I do not say that because I'm a pastor. I say that as one who has run to Jesus. I say that as one who has run to him. I say that as one who sought my satisfaction, not on the party scene, but really in academic pursuits for years. And the next good grade and the next... Uh, Accolade, none of them satisfied me. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. I want to say something to you this morning and I want you to hear me. Sin is totally predictable. Every week as a part of what I do, I sit with people who've blown it. Every week. That's what I do. They end up in my office and I sit with them and I absolutely love those moments. I do. But sin is so predictable. Here's what it looks like. Sin. Hurt yourself and others. 
guilt. Death of emotion and relationship. Sin. Hurt yourself and others. Less guilt. More death of emotion and relationship. Sin. I can call it every time. It works the same way every time. There's never a time it doesn't. Sin always leads to death. Always. So could I put something forward to you this morning that the world will never tell you if you want to lead the most boring life and predictable life on the planet, then sin. It is this predictable sin. Hurt yourself and others. Guilt. Death of emotion and relationship. Sin. Hurt. Less guilt. More death. Sin. Hurt. Lesser guilt. Greater death. Every time. Every time. Every time. Or, let's go to the Psalms. 1611, talking to God, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of what? Joy. At at your right hand are what? Pleasures. For how long? Forevermore. All right, so here's what I want to say to you. I look back and I see Chad and Tanya Meese. All right, so I can say this with all affirmation, notorious sinners. Amen? Right. All right, so Chad and Tanya Meese. Before Chad came to Christ and Tanya, he was an atheist. Tanya was running from the Lord. All right? I, I can promise you that, that five years ago, seven years ago, if somebody had told Chad, listen, you're going to be in Senegal, Africa, keeping your pastor awake with your obnoxious snoring. <laughs> right? Would you guys stand up? Look at them. <laughs> and that if somebody had told Tanya, I'll take you to Ecuador and you'll fall in love with some orphans, never in a million years would you have believed that, right? Never. You could be seated. Look at this. You made known to me the path of life. In your presence there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are what? Pleasures. You say, what might that look like? You may give money to places and to things you never thought you would. You may go places you never thought you would. You may say things you never thought you would say. Oh, I I could just say to you, I thought I had my life mapped out, but in no way did I, but God did. And I would not change his plans. I would not change his purposes. And, And some of you would look at me if you know me well and say, Jerry, do you remember the time when your son lost it and, and you lost him and he was completely, he, he, 
he went into the depths of despair as a fifth grader and, and completely you lost him. Yes, I do. I remember that. I remember weeping and saying, God, he's only 10 and it's been 10 good years and you can have him back. I can't see him live like this the rest of his life. I remember that. And you might look at me and say, Jerry, he's been through 13 surgeries. You've walked with him through 13 surgeries. You're saying that God's plan is perfect? I absolutely, I would say to you, God has a perfect plan. And it's incredible. And it's remarkable. So this week, I've talked to people on both ends of this spectrum. I've talked to the person who says, yes, they said it's cancer. I've had that conversation this week. And then I've talked to the person who said, I've sinned. I've hurt her. I feel so bad. If you want an unpredictable, adventurous, exciting, who knows what in the world is going to happen, life, follow Christ. Follow Christ. If you want boredom and predictability, sin it up. That's what you will have. Our ways are not God's ways. Absolutely not. So what should we do? Seek God. Verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. That word seek means to be, to path to, to frequent a place, frequent God. It means you're not going to know an all-knowing God if, if Sunday morning's it. As much as we do to plan this time of worship and as many hours as I put into this sermon, you will not know God if this is all you're getting. You must seek him. You must get into your copy of his word and you must get his word into your heart so that it becomes that. And I could even say to you, it was just a couple weeks ago, I think I'm driving back from Montreal, having taught, that was fine, it was good. I'm coming down the mountain and, and I know this happens to some of you and some of you may be shocked that it happens to me, but here goes the shock. All of a sudden, these thoughts rush into my mind and they are ungodly, they're awful they're vile and I don't know what preceded them like I can't look into my life and go oh I did that that triggered that this came I can't do that but here they are these thoughts that come rushing in seemingly out of nowhere and so when they do just for all of you who know my driving record I spoke to Siri and I said, hey, Siri, uh, turn on my ESV Bible app. And so Siri turned on my ESV Bible app. And when ESV Bible app came on, it came on to Psalms. And there's a little button down there that has a little speaker. And when you push it, uh, the, the, the scriptures just start rolling out. And so these thoughts are just bombarding me. And I thought the only thing I know to do is 
at this moment is to seek God, is to be the path to God. And so the only way I know in my Jeep to do this is to turn his word on. And his word became flooding my Jeep and just flooding and flooding and flooding all the way into the office until the time I arrived here, the thoughts had gone. In his word, it filled my heart. Now, could I say something to you? I know some of you right now may think, oh, you? Yes, I'm not the Pope. All right, I'm just a pastor. I struggle like you. I, I, I have problems like you. If you don't believe me, just talk to my wife. All right, I struggle with sin just like you do. And could I say something to you if I spend hours a week in God's word? If I'm up super early every day of the week in God's word, and that's going to happen to me. I'm not the only person in the room that's going to have to beat a path to God. I, I'm, not, I'm not the only one here. This is not McDonald's drive through And you get it and you're sustained. This is beat a path to God. And the other word is to cry, which means it's an onomatopoeic word. The word sounds just like it says. It's like a baby crying. Neither of these are hard. They're not. Here we have this all-wise God. He doesn't say, get a seminary degree and you can follow me. He says, no, beat a path to me and cry. Why? You say, Jerry, how do I do that? Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, his plans, his purposes. What will the Lord do? Verse 7. Let him return to the Lord that he may kick him in the teeth and say, you idiot, why did you do that again? No. Let him return to the Lord that he may have what class? Compassion on him. And to our God, for he will how much? Ah. Abundantly pardon. Not just let me throw a little dab of grace, right? But let me just overflow, overflow, and abundantly pardon. All right. So, Neil, take us back to the definition. Remember that, that wisdom is knowledge plus the solution plus the power. Let's go to verse 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. God has the knowledge. He has the solution. And he has the capability. He is God all wise, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's will will be done. You can, you can join him or you can sit on the sidelines. He will do it with or without you. That's what he's saying here. His will will be done. What, this, what will this ultimately look like? For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all the trees of the fields shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorns shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord. An everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. This is how I think of this. All right. 
when, when you begin to eat the rich food, right? When you get the milk and the wine and all of that. It reminds me of when I was in high school for years, I didn't realize how blind I was, right? I just didn't realize it. And all of a sudden, evidently, a teacher saw me. I don't know. And I must have been squinting in class. I was a high school kid. And she said, or he said, whoever it was, said, you need to go to the eye doctor. So I did. And when I did, sure enough, I couldn't see. Couldn't see it far away. So I remember getting glasses. And it was a snowy day when I got them. And my mom picked me up, uh, took me to get my glasses, drove me back to school. And so I've got my glasses on. And I remember leaving. And it was one of those wet snows where the snow covers the trees. And I still remember this to this day. I put on my glasses, and it was the first time I could recall seeing trees outlined in snow. It had all just been prior a white blob. And I remember driving down the road, and I would do this and that. And I would go, wow. I still remember that as a high school kid just going down the road and seeing the snow-lined trees. And I was blown away by the crispness of the snow and the lines in the trees that I'd never seen that I could recall with such clarity. Do you know what happens when you come to God by faith in Jesus Christ and his blood washes you? All of a sudden, trees that just seem to stand still or what? They're clapping their hands. And mountains that just seem to be tall obstacles for you become just sources of worship and sources of joy. And all of a sudden, all of creation, now that you're a part of, right? All of creation seems to join you in a song of praise and glory to God. And you see all of life through a different lens because you have been washed and you have been clean and you now eat at the table of God's great sumptuous meal called grace and blessings forevermore and it doesn't mean the journey is always fun it doesn't mean life always turns out as you wished it would but there is a certain joy inescapable joy in the journey so much so that it seems all of creation is worshiping with you that's this but then there's future And I have to share it with you. Revelation 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. What did God tell David? I want to do. I want to build you a what? A house. What did Jesus say in John 14? Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's what? House. Are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. Look at this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. 
And he who was seated on the throne, who is Jesus Christ, said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Hold on, here we go. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the what? The thirsty. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. What? Are you kidding me? John gets this vision that one day, as Isaiah predicted, that we would go into heaven and with all of our thirst, we will come in with nothing in our hands. We bring simply to his cross we cling. And when we come in, he will give to the thirsty streams of living water. There it is. It is now and it is then. It is now and it is then. Why? Because Jesus, as the old song says, paid it what, church? He paid it all. Jesus.